It'd have been so funny if Matt missed the last one. Yeah, it would suck. I'd put it off if we were going to miss the final three with Matt. Oh, I wouldn't. That would make it extra funny to me. listening to Boku no Stop, an anime podcast that's going to attack you, but that's good. This is how healing works. I'm your host, Sybil Arnett, and with me is... Chris. And Matt. And today we're talking about Monster, episodes 59 through 62. Content warnings for today's batch include a lot of drugs, suicide, suicide with cop, and really just the most absolutely unhealthy sex scenes. A lot this time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, also, like, I guess generalized, like, trauma during therapy, too. Uh, a lot of stuff with Nina. That's how therapy should I don't be. know that you could call 90% of what she does this week therapy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, yes, it's mostly hypnosis. That leaves us at episode 59, The Man Who Saw the Devil, where we resume at a diner with the cook behind the counter giving Martin crap. How am I supposed to remember your order? We find out, though, that Martin is a regular and not just a common asshole when the cook tells him that Chinese or Vietnamese or whatever guy over there keeps asking after you. And Martin looks down the bar and goes, Nah, he's neither. To me, he looks Japanese. Loves to name all of them but the correct one. This cook, this no, cook is no, canceled no. for not recognizing Taiwan. <laughs> uh, I, I love that he like like lays out what his order is even though it doesn't matter to the plot at all but uh was it like a hamburger with uh extra cheese a uh, big slice of tomato and uh if you put pickles on it i'll kill and you a lot of ketchup yes. like he's fucking eight. Oh, a lot of ketchup that's right <laughs> yeah <laughs> to be fair when we find out about his backstory he might literally have been emotionally stunted at that age Fair enough. Everyone knows that traumatic life experiences make you dislike pickles. I more meant the kind of brain that's stuck on ketchup. I like ketchup in the right context. Not... Do you slather it on a burger like you're some kind of fucking ex-president? No, never. You don't. Ketchup is not very good. No. <laughs> I I guess I'm the ketchup defender. I think it's fine. It's not amazing. It's fine. But it's worse than everything else you could put on anything that you would put ketchup on. You're probably right. Yeah, barbecue sauce. To, to quote the, the drill tweet, barbecue sauce is better. But I still like ketchup. Especially if you... No, you get a fancy... You get like a fancy mustard on a burger, a little bit of mayo and the same thing. Much better. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I... Fries, you do nothing or vinegar. Oh, man, dude. Uh, there's a... Like, the best fries in the D.C. area are... Um, it's um, a place called uh, Amsterdam Falafel, 
and they have like a bunch of sauces. One of them is curried ketchup, which is delicious. And then one of them is like a peanut sauce, which is also delicious. Yeah. Or you get like a good aioli. It's fine. Yeah. Anything but ketchup, basically. <laughs> ketchup is just awful tasting and mostly sugar. I, I like it because of the vinegar. I just take the vinegar. Just put vinegar on it, dude. Yeah. No, but the vinegar's not creamy. Get some malt vinegar. <laughs> vinegar is just like like wet. It's not. I very, know. It's I just uh, drink some. It's very viscous. Yeah. Not, not a, or non-viscous. Excuse me. Not a fan as much. Anyhow. I like a sauce. I got that. Now that we are immediately off the rails on the most stereotypical <laughs> white guys and gal arguing we can have, it's ketchup. The condiment nobody knows what to do. Anyway. So Martin starts walking over to Tenma, monologuing and just making it clear he knows who the doctor is. Oh yeah, genius brain surgeon, all kinds of... And he just kicks Tenma off his bar stool and begins administering a less severe version of the train guy beating from last episode. R.I.P. to train guy, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah I don't that, think that guy didn't deserve it. <laughs> so Tenma tells him to let Ava go, and Martin just scoffs. We're not holding her hostage, Doc. I take her to parties every night. And when he asks to see her, Martin resumes kicking the shit out of him, and finally tosses Tenma to the curb as the cook tells him to knock this off. Well, the funny thing is, is the cook's like, don't ruin my restaurant. And then you cut to him getting beat up outside instead, which is very funny mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few nights later, Martin tells Ava at one of the parties that he saw the doctor. And Ava asks, when he said my name, did you punch him? And Martin's like, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the pair go to leave the party, but another gentleman comes up and offers to take Ava to dinner. And she accepts. And then we cut back to the diner where the chef Robbie is listening to this story and cannot tell if he should be insulted or flattered that Martin prefers his burgers to fancy dining. Which is funny because he calls them shitty later. <laughs> uh, look, it's look, diner food is shitty, it is. but it's shitty in a specific way that you want. Yeah, no. Like Taco Bell. Yeah, I mean, like they call them greasy spoon for a reason, although I can't I can't go with taco bell i just i can't it's it's a bridge too far for me as a vegetarian it is one of the only places i can reliably yeah, I know. get something yeah i know we've we've been <laughs> this has come up before <laughs> uh yeah I, I could never be a vegetarian it's probably be better for me but i'm never gonna be able to do it oh no i've been muted what <laughs> uh, you... nope yeah, I would rather eat nothing than the vegetarian options at Taco Bell. And also, this fucking ivory tower motherfucker too good for Taco Bell. I just don't like it. Like, look, I like trashy mm-hmm. shit, but just not the trashy shit I like. But anyway, Tenma once again uh, goes to the diner and uh, seats himself at a booth this time. And Martin walks over to threaten him again, but this time, the doctor draws a gun and martin remains unfazed unlike the uh the cook slash odor who's like uh shit but he uh tells martin i i know you usually work for the baby but this assignment came from higher up in the uh organization so who sent you to collect ava and martin explains that it's just some guy with glasses <laughs> and uh when pressed on 
what they have Ava doing, he repeats, uh, she just goes to a lot of parties night after night. Uh, the only time anything changed was uh, last night. And he explains at one point, she just pointed at a young blonde man in a crowd with a pretty face and th- said afterwards she went out to dinner with the boss. Uh, the, you know, the aforementioned guy wearing the glasses and uh, he wasn't there uh, for it. But Tenma loses his cool and begins demanding to know where they are because clearly Ava has completed her job and Martin did not realize this <laughs> uh, until right that moment where he thinks back to Ava saying, you know, Ava points and then says later, uh, we can leave. The party is over and uh, realizes that they're going to kill Ava to tie up the loose end. So the bodyguard bolts out the door before Tenma can react. This is incredibly funny in what's been such a slow episode that he's he's the fucking flash out this door while a gun is still pointed at him. And Mm -hmm. he peels out in the car. When he gets to the restaurant, there's no staff, there's no, you know, waiters, there's no bouncer. Just Capek is inside. Where is she? Well, I already sent her back to the hotel. Capek asks Martin, do you carry a gun? No, it's too much trouble if I have one. Capek then pulls one out of his coat and tells Martin, in that case, use this. Do it right. Killer. <laughs> Subtitles are very bad here. She's like, no, I left it at home. What? <laughs> I, no, I, I, the subtitles I saw said like, oh, I just don't like carrying one. or I didn't need to carry one. Yeah, it's just basically, I left it at the hotel. I didn't think I would need it. <sighs> There's, buddy, the subtitles later have a Kaikaku means plan. It's incredible. There's one that I even wrote down trying not to do that at this point. Although, the second one that stuck out to me is, how did you misspell Reichwein? <laughs> anyway, so we get we get some Martin narration, and he's thinking back on the evening. He explains how, after Ava pointed out what we now see was definitely Johan, they uh, they lead another well-dressed young man over to meet him. The two boys shake hands, and Ava's job was complete. Boys' love achieved. There's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot more redundancy the farther we get in because they really don't want you to miss a point, but it does slow down the pacing a little bit here. One of our listeners did send uh, just some feedback about listening to this and talking about how, you know, three sets of episodes that are just about following around this random criminal and breaking Tenma out. And that's a month of television where almost nothing happens, even though it's needed. And it's kind of interesting how the manga pacing is starting to slow down. The decompressed storytelling is not being adapted. Mm-hmm. It, it's a thought that's occurring to me as we go into these last few where, you know, we know Ava is about to die. We are not going to get to the end of this Martin arc for another two episodes. I'm going to tell you right now that at the end of this, I, the entire thing will have had almost no emotional impact just because of how long it is. I can well, see that. I think, I think also the other thing is that it keeps like these little subplots keep barging in on other subplots and pushing them aside because like spoilers for this episode, we don't get any Lunge. Like no. 
that drop last time where Lunge is just like, oh, yes, uh, I, you know, found the, you know, guy who's connected to Franz Bonaparte, you, that had momentum. And then you don't see him for these four episodes. And you're like, what happened well, to that? Because everyone else has to meet up with KPEC. That's the problem with telling the one story. The way they're doing it is one character story at a time. Like, like basically, everyone will converge at KPEC, but we got to watch everyone figure it out. Yeah, I mean, at the very, at this point, you basically have what three characters end up deciding to do the same thing. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It, it seems it, it's a little bizarre structurally. I cannot imagine watching this as a weekly show where it takes even longer than our podcast. Does. For what it's <laughs> worth uh, by the end, sci-fi burned this off five nights a week. That would be the ideal way to watch this, honestly. Yeah, be able to sit with it for a second, but not too long. Especially now that we're getting to the parts where we have a lot more recaps and recovering the same ground as openings and endings, which we didn't really have at the very beginning. And now Martin is standing outside of Ava's hotel room with a gun in his hand, looking real sad about it. As he enters, Ava sees him and simply says, I knew it would be you in the end. Uh, And at this point, she's just like totally emotionally unraveled. She just begins rambling about half trying to own Martin and half feeling sad for herself. But finally, he interrupts her and simply says, let's run away together. And she just laughs at him, which made me feel extremely bad. Mm -hmm. Um, Martin just simply says, I can't kill people anymore. And then Ava says, you can't kill people, but can you kill devils? Because I am one. That suit, that tie, that's what Kenzo used to wear. I was just trying to turn you into Kenzo. Now do it. Kill me quickly. And she's just like got up and is like stumbling towards him and just collapses against him and the last thing she slurs out is before passing out is or they'll kill you too and then we got to them driving ava unconscious in the car and martin asking himself can i kill devils huh mm-hmm. and then we get a flashback to young martin he's hauling his uh shit-faced mother down the street on his back who is uh completely unconcerned if she passes out in the road and like he doesn't just like drag her once like he he's dragging her. He puts her down because he, she's too heavy and then picks her up again. Like it's real hard uh, dragging this woman back home. R.I.P. to the fucking side of her face. Ugh. He pulls her down by like, her arms down the sidewalk. Holy yeah. Shit. I mean, you have to be. Yeah. Pretty far gone to not feel that in the moment. Ugh. But he wakes up in a motel room. Back to the door with Ava sleeping in the uh, soul bed. As she continues to slumber, he removes the suit and tie, changing back into his familiar rumpled attire before leaving. But then he goes back and picks up the tie. Uh, back at the diner, Robbie, who is the, the cook, uh, says that, oh, you look pretty grim. And Martin quips back that he always looks grim, which is true. Tenma left a note at the diner because he asked, oh, did the doctor come back to try to contact me? And he said, yes, but he didn't stay. He left a, a note and that has his hotel room, the name of the hotel and the room on it. And when Robbie asks him if he wants to get the usual, this time Martin declines and says, if I get full on your shitty burgers, I won't have the spirit to go. And Robbie says, go where? Martin holds up one of the invitations that uh, 
we, we didn't mention this when Ava's like really, really drunk. She's like, oh, there's all these other parties. Here's these other invitations that have come in. You can go with, you know, you don't need me. So he's holding up one of those invitations and says he's going to a party. Uh, we see him uh, put on the tie and tidy himself up in the bathroom. And he says, all it takes for me to get in a joint like this is a single necktie. Yeah, I know. I played it. <laughs> it's kind of hard to convey in these notes, but they use Martin's inner monologue, the sort of noir detective character, as a very interesting way to bridge some of these scenes. Mm-hmm. And you don't get that with a lot of... Can you imagine a Lunge inner narrative that's not just him going super introspective? This guy is just like, huh, society. Lunge would be like, it seems that if I were to wear this, I could be the bodyguard. How will I be the body? It's just such a distinct one versus the few characters we see who actually get internal. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing he has like a very unique perspective. Like yeah. by unique I mean he has a normal person's perspective, which is very unique in the context of the show. Yeah. But it's also he's a character who has a very good poker face. And like I just really like the design of like the way he's drawn in a lot of these. Like you can just tell a lot just by looking at him. And it helps that it has the monologue behind it to like sort of flesh that out more. But like it's a character that sells a lot by doing very little. And part of that is what they've already called out with Ava, which is, is he in the fancier suit and tie? Is he sitting there sort of slumped down like a goon? Or is he shoulders back, stiff, upper lip? There's a lot in how they make him carry himself, as opposed to characters like Lunge, always professional, always suave, or Tenma, just completely beaten down, stubbled over, getting skinny. Fucking shrimping it all the time. So, at the ballroom, Martin spots our unnamed devil, the new guy, sees him socializing with everyone and anyone. This was the incredibly shitty line from the fan sub. (laughs) He's shaking so many hands, his hand should be swollen. What the fuck? The man leaves. What is the line of the manga? I did not see that line in the manga. Okay, so it might just be completely new. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's just a weird translation, because I know the voice acting when I had this on in the background was just something like, look at him, just talking to everyone and anyone. I don't know where his hand should be swollen came from. Uh, The man leaves. Martin follows him back to his own hotel. He's he's keeping distance. He's trying to be subtle. But that means he can only track him as far as the floor he took the elevator to. So he gets there and he's like, all right, how do I figure out the room? Oh, it's this one with the door open and a guy inviting me in because he knew I was coming. This guy is so scary. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very effective. Mm Mm-hmm. We do not hear the first part of this man's manic lecture. It's It goes to Martin's monologue while he's doing it. And it's just some crap about the end of the world. Perfect way to summarize the plot. <laughs> I, I do love it. This is the perfect introduction for this character because there's still mystery, but we get interplay. We don't even know this guy's name yet. Mm-hmm. So then he reveals he knows who Martin is quite well. Details about his murder trial and his dead ex well. 
See, this young man has sussed out, or at least suspected, that Martin did not kill his ex-lover. At the trial, you said she was repeating two words before you did it. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But that wasn't it, was it? The coroner found gunpowder on her hands. But then you just kept sticking to your story, and so they went, All right, lock him up. She didn't apologize. She asked you to kill her, and you didn't. And we see the vision. Martin hears her. She just says, No, do it. Kill me. End me. Shoot me. And he walks out. To the most Omega yikes scene of all time. Oh, yeah. We're not. Reminder he walked in on his girl with her ex. What we didn't know before now is that he was basically her fucking Andy Dick and that he mm -hmm. was a user. She had gotten clean with Martin, and him showing up, him being in their bedroom, meant she's back on the ship. There's mm -hmm. a lot to unpack about these two in a room, and Martin just goes, I'm out. Mm -hmm. Until the gunshot. And he rushes in to find a scene we will not describe in detail, and a very strung-out man going, I didn't do it! The gun's in her hand! Martin did not kill his lover, but he very much killed Andy Dick. Mm -hmm. And then the young man continues saying, you just gave her what she wanted. You have a long history of abandoning women. Remember your mother froze to death outside when you were ten? And then we see a repeat of the same scene from earlier on another day, and it's snowing this time. And this time, when Martin's mother says, "Leave, me, just leave me, he does. He leaves her there, looks at her for a moment and then just runs home and the man says all your life martin you've given the women in your life what they wanted and it was to die and now ava wants to die and martin slowly uh closes the door on the hotel room and at this point a vocalless version of the first ending theme plays which was uh for the love of life he walks out and in the hall he passes the devil johan and like a child I just repeated to myself, don't look, don't look, don't you dare look. And, like, he's, like, not saying anything during this whole monologue, but he is, like, breaking down. And, like, this is the first time you really see him shook when, like, earlier when he was going on off on his, uh, you know, the guy was going off on his story at the beginning, he was, you know, still stone-faced. So, yeah, this this fucks him up real bad, as you would imagine. But, like... What's super interesting to me here is that, you know, the whole plan here, right, is to they're trying to train this dude to be the next Johan, right? Or like an alternate Johan, mm -hmm. maybe one that's more controllable. But like the fact that he is so manic and so excited and like giggling to himself whenever he guesses right versus, you know, and you could see the playbook, too, because, you know, all the times we've seen Johan in situations like this, he has all the cards, he has all the knowledge and he's been able to play them, you know, just lay them out in front of the, whoever his target is and make them do what he wants. And yeah, he, he attacks the weak point for massive damage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But like when Johan does it, he's cold and emotionless. And this guy is super excited about it. I, I think that that distinction and that difference between those two characters is very interesting. Yeah, remember Johan on the roof with the P.I. and just pulling out the bottle. Want a drink? That is so far removed 
from this mm-hmm. giggling maniac who, let's just say it, here's our Joker. Just mm-hmm. yeah. all energy, all smiles, loves what he's doing, wants you to know how much he loves this job. Why would anyone not take this role? Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. I'm just curious, like, I still feel like on a some level we we still don't really know Johan's intentions, right? Like, what is his end game? It, it, it's still pretty vague, but like this guy, you know, he just wants things, like you said, Joker, he wants things to burn. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of what he's excited for. He wants that. He wants that rush. So episode 60, we resume with Martin in the dark, standing over a sleeping Ava. He recalls her pleas to kill her, and he slowly lifts the gun before hearing a single word leave her lips. She says, Kenzo, and then starts tearing up in her sleep. And Martin stays his hand, telling himself, I won't do the devil's bidding. Nobody really wants to die. We jump ahead. Three men enter the hotel room, which the bed is empty, and Martin is simply a silhouette at the back window in the dark. Where is she? I already finished her off. Pathetic, Martin. You're about to lose your life over a woman. And then we see where we came in a few episodes ago, Martin in a gunfight, leaping out the window. And we have a short dissolve to five minutes ago. Martin is looking out that same window from their second floor room. And he sees their car pull up, tells Ava they can't leave together. I can handle them alone, but if we both go, we'll be made. Speaking of maid, Martin has stolen a maid's uniform and says Ava can put it on and get down the back stairs at the exit. And he makes sure she has the note with Tenma's hotel room. The last thing she tells him is, I'll be waiting at the Frankfurt Central train station. Let's run away together. And the voice actors do like a really good job selling this moment where both of them know that this is it and neither will ever see the other again. But neither can be honest about how that's a lie or let their guard down to show the other they care. And instead Martin just says, damn it Ava, stick to the plan. You'll be safer with Tenma and that's an order. She just simply says, who do you think you are to order me around? And she pauses and says, it was a joke. Her response is to ask him not to get killed on her behalf and he just gives a uh, tough guy, I don't plan to get killed for anyone. She pauses in the doorframe. Both of them look very sad, and she can only say goodbye. Mm-hmm. And that's fucking sick as fuck. Gun yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because it turns out Martin is very good at shooting motherfuckers. Oh, and then he smokes a cigarette. Martin is very cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He gets, uh, you know, a bunch of men go after him. He kills four of them in a row with headshots. And, uh, yeah. After killing four of them, he's taking a smoke and telling himself, I can't believe I survived that. Except, unfortunately, there was a fifth guy. And this guy is clearly, he's probably like a new recruit because he he's very sweaty, like basically shitting his pants, trying to point this gun at this guy. And Martin goes to shoot him, like, you know, as calm smooth movements and then he realizes that he's out of bullets and tells himself that i guess my luck ran out and the uh the 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 wiener guy just fires one shot hits martin in the gut and knocks him down and then the guy just flees with a scream and martin on his back in the rain simply curses the guy out saying aim for the head asshole 
and he uh, grays out. So we cut forward in time. With the context we now have, we realize that the cook at the diner was Martin's driver, and they have arrived at Tenma's hotel. Martin looks even more like shit in the back of this car, but the doctor has come to collect him. I hate when I get shot and get a black eye. You know, I hadn't even put that together, but you're right, huh? <laughs> in the hotel room, Tenma has done what he can with, um, basically just a bedsheet. But Martin denies the offer to get him to a hospital. I have too much I know that you need to hear. He is first off surprised to see that Ava isn't there, and all he can do is laugh because of course she didn't go to Tenma or take the hint. So, the first thing he says is that the Red Rose experiment never stopped. Peter Kopek, I guess Chopek is the way we pronounce it. I yeah. do not do the Cyrillic character for this, sorry. Uh, the sole remaining head of the neo-Nazi organization we've been dealing with continued them after he survived the purge. And now we hear that the devil has an apprentice. He does not know what this young man's name is, but he says Chapek cannot control him no matter what he thinks. He makes sure Tenma knows where the lad is staying, room number and all. And finally, he says that Ava is probably at the Frankfurt Central train station with two tickets for both of them. And then Martin breathes no more. Rip to a real one. Mm-hmm. From there, we see Ava alone at the train station, just checking her watch. And we cut forward in time again, and the janitor is sweeping up. And she's clearly been there all night. The two talk, and eventually he says, This must be your man, as a figure approaches. And it's Tenma! And all he says is, Martin isn't coming. He's dead, Ava. He urges her to take a ticket, get out of town, just get as far away as possible. And she says they have some time before the first train, and asks if he'll wait with her. In a nearby cafe, the two are toasting Martin's memory with coffee, and uh, Tenma just owns her by saying, Not alcohol! And Ava just goes, Martin told me he hated this stuff. And Ava has finally broken down enough that she can't pretend anymore. She's just openly concerned for Tenma, mourning a man she barely knew, and hating herself for what she did to him before he went. And she asks, why am I still alive after all the terrible things I've done to you and him and the world? And it's because Martin protected you. Why would he do that? And because nobody wants to die. Those were some of his last words. He passed peacefully and sent me to you. And Ava just breaks down bawling and everyone is glad to see her. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting how they're kind of expecting us to feel a lot of sympathy for her in this little stretch here. And it's like, but she's terrible. <laughs> like, Well, you do, but not beyond the basic human sympathy sure. you have for everyone. Sure. And it, like, it makes sense that, you know, Tenma would be one of the people. Because, I mean, he's generally compassionate. It, it, you know, I also was thinking, like, she's drawn less harsh in pretty much every scene in these episodes. Right? Like, there's only a moment or two where you get that real angular sort of the end of this episode basically and one line in the motel room yeah otherwise she's drawn pretty normal and like it's almost a convincing like oh yeah you know what they made her pretty attractive usually she looks really ugly 
because of her expression, if nothing her, else. Her purple eyes really stand out. They are like, oh, damn, you can see how this woman would be the belle of high society, how she would have yeah. been a catch. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting how, like, the different way they draw her here, like, makes, you know, to go with the uh, the story bits, just kind of make it, like, trying to get me to like her more. And it's like, well, I can't really go with you there, but I see what you're doing. Well, well, okay, you first. You kind of can, right? She had, like, this very long arc of her being slowly humanized by her relationship with Martin. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of that that happens off screen, I guess, which is um, good for pacing purposes. Um, oh my God. Imagine if we took any more time to hang out with Ava. <laughs> Let's I mean, like Ava and Martin was actually like, it was kind of a fun dynamic. Yeah, no. Oh, I loved it. But I'm just saying the last eight episodes have been mostly hanging out with Ava and wondering what's up with Ava. And when Ava's not on screen, everyone's asking, where is Ava? <laughs> I know, it's so weird, isn't it? Like, it's dedicating a lot of time to a character that nobody likes. So, I'm just going to pull this one out. To be fair, the show dedicates a lot of time to Johan also. Very true. Okay. Including Johan's college arc. Uh-huh, that's true. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe fucking Lottie comes back. I, uh, I'm like, who the fuck is What is that? Oh my god. Like, we'll talk about it when it happens. But yeah, I was that was something. So let's just let's just do a reminder of Ava's journey. And reminder, it has been years in story now. We're gonna find out that it's been it feels like years in my life. It's gonna be over a year since the Turkish district incident with the neo-Nazis which was one of our first big action scenes as things were on the run. Which I forgot about until it came back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're we're starting to close this. We're starting to bring yeah. everything together. I mean, the baby was, has been around, so that, yep. that was kind of the reminder. Yeah, I've been podcasting with him every week. <laughs> <It's you. laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> I am 5'8", thank you very much. <laughs> Oh my god, you're barely any taller than I am. (laughs) Anyhow, Ava has had a series of false starts. She's been trying to pick her shit up. She has the gardener, and she comes so close to having an actual relationship there. You see her trying, and she gets rebuffed by him getting back together with his wife. And in a rage, she goes back to the bottle and burns down her fucking house. In there's the Roberto arc, where she's just like, hmm, big, strong man, you're the opposite of Tenma. And it nearly gets her murdered repeatedly. But she gets away. She kind of gets out of that one consequence-free. Every time we come close to her taking that next step, something has always gone wrong and then she uses as an excuse to push all that away and go well the world is awful to me this is the first time consequences have landed her teenage drama bullshit has a body count now and this is her rock bottom Mm -hmm. I actually really love the decision to hold on them just chatting through the night at this cafe because there is no way out for her. There is nothing she can do. She is staying off of the sauce. 
she has someone who will be support for her and she's just picking herself back up. But by the end of this episode, we're also yeah, going to about see that. <laughs> but well, yeah, let's go. She still has that stubborn self-destructive streak and this time she's going to go all or nothing. Mhm. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Like I I definitely that was a this motherfucker moment to me. I'm just like Fine, just let her leave. She learned her lesson. It's over. And then she t- turns and I'm like, oh, no. Yo. <laughs> it's not over. <laughs> oh, well, well, let's get there. Yeah. Um, so she's calmed down a little bit uh, sometime later. And uh, the two resume talking. Tenma suggests she go to Munich, meet this uh, psychiatrist friend he knows. Uh, and she's like, oh, you mean Dr. Reichwein? Because everyone knows each other <laughs> in the show. Off as a huge own, yep. by the way. He's like. Have you considered your mental health lately? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and like Ted was like, how do you do it? Uh, he just lays it out for her that like, go to him. He'll hide you. Talk to the police in Munich. Tell them the baby's organization is after you for protection. Tell them about Roberto. Uh, and, uh, you know, she pleads for him to come with her and says that she can clear his name and that they can both be safe. And, he cuts her off saying, not when he's right in front of me. I can't go, Ava. Johan is so close now. And I can't have another Martin on my conscience. And did Roberto die? No, no he's still around. Like, yeah, another thread. Oh we Roberto don't was know come back. what happened to him after the attempt to clean up some loose ends. We haven't seen him since, but he's not. Out. Yeah. Oh yeah, fuck me. Yeah, he's All gonna right. he's gonna make a big I'm excited. One. Yeah. I can't wait for Roberto to oh, come yeah. back. Oh <laughs> yeah. I got good news. It's a great revelation. I'm sure it is. Because he's basic Honestly, I just want Inspector Lungay and Roberto to meet because they deserve to kill each other. Very good. <laughs> yeah. Uh no spoilers. They're like the I same guy, shit. but only of tight I know, I'm just saying. They're only a tiny bit different. They are the same guy to me though. Uh-huh. uh-huh. But yeah, this uh Seems to, again, shatter Ava. She's really broken up about about this. Yeah, Tenma says, I have to go die at the end of the anime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he sees her to the train. He makes sure she gets out of town. He does not leave until it has pulled into the distance. And he finally leaves to resume his quest. On the train... Ava's got time to be alone with her thoughts, and she thinks back to that fateful dinner with Chopik. At one point, he took a call in the middle, and what she picked up from his side of it was he was talking to Johan, and there is an apartment on a specific street. And so she just goes, Okay, okay, I can use this. And we close on the two of them, despite splitting up, drawing their paths back together, Tenma preparing to enter the hotel Martin told him about with the Devil's Apprentice, and Ava back in the red light district buying the biggest gun you can give me in a back alley because she says, I'm hunting the devil. (laughs) What a fucking move. Uh Uh-huh. And that takes us into episode 61, The Door to Memory. And we're back in Prague, and Nina and Dita are still here, in somehow a shittier apartment than last time. <laughs> oh wait, it's because last time they were living with that weird sex. Yep. <laughs> no, I mean, look, it's a sh- less shitty apartment because it's not full of weird puppets. <laughs> not, not that you know. <laughs> okay, hey, you didn't fair. look in the bathroom. 
<laughs> Look, that bathroom can't possibly have as many puppets as that other apartment had. The bed feels like it's about to collapse because there's like 7,000 puppets dangling from the bottom. <laughs> what a twist. <laughs> you know, every night the wind blows through the hole in the wall and I just hear... <laughs> Uh, Nina can't even like bother to humor Dieter anymore. She's just like, you have to go back to Reichwein. This is extremely unhealthy for you. <laughs> but she can't make him. And if she doesn't drag him to the station herself, and she won't because she's busy. Uh, all she does before at work every day is go back to the apartment she shared with her family at the Three Frogs and re- remember nothing at all, but try pretty hard. And what follows is basically a recap of these characters still exist as she tries to go around town following the chain of memories to get new cards to do the triple seven slate, but it doesn't work. And eventually she finally might be the cusp of a breakthrough and is screaming in terror, definitely having a breakdown. And Dieter just interrupts her and says, maybe we should go back to Munich and Dr. Reichwein now. Huh? That sounds good. Only have positive memories. Please. And I'm so mad. <laughs> When this happens, I'm like, fucking tell us already. <laughs> it turns out Nina is the joke. Oh, no. <sighs> but we cut to elsewhere where Fritz Verdemann is still hunting down leads to prove Johan's existence and Tenma's innocence. Unfortunately, he's now trying to trace the Red Rose children in adulthood, track them down and interview them. The local authorities are giving him as little help as possible. Uh, He's technically going to only be an observer and can't ask questions or interact with them himself. Uh, And he's going to be accompanied by a local policeman on these visits. And it turns out the person who is assigned to this is Detective Jan Suk. I was really shocked to see this guy come back. But the weird thing, he's very different this time around, I feel. Uh. I cannot believe that somebody would be different after almost going to jail forever by being framed by, like, the fascist secret police. Well, I mean, like, the thing is, fair enough. But, like, he comes back and he's, like, has no fucking patience for this guy because... Well, that's because he only cares about this interview process to find out more about the fascist police. (laughs) Which he's very bad, but he's also still very bad at it. (laughs) Yeah, he's, like, early this anime Tenma. Basically. Yeah, Jan Suk is, if Tenma didn't get radicalized, he's still going like, well, the police state tried to kill me, but that was just the bad police. I'm one of the good ones, and the good ones do things by the book. And it makes him such a stick in the mud. Mm-hmm. And that's why he and Verdemann, who is kind of a Phoenix Wright attorney who is half <laughs> off on his own bullshit at any time. Is oh, like, he's extremely on his bullshit this entire episode. These two are just fighting in front of the witnesses. Mommy and daddy don't yeah. love each other, and they just want to get your love in all of these interviews. Yeah, because... I'm very disappointed that Grimmer wasn't here. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the guys looks like Grimmer with a different haircut. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's what made me remember. Oh, why isn't Grimmer here? Yeah, because it's like, wait, did, did he give himself a weird bowl cut in the interim? <laughs> uh, he even has the same facial expression. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, there's a reason for that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Vertimon keeps trying to steer these interviews towards something that'll help him with uh, his little quest, uh, you know, try to figure out more information uh, about his father. And it's like really funny 
like the way he goes about this and he's just like you know bringing out like the picture books and or just like asking like very very leading questions uh but this comes to a head where uh one of the guys and these are all guys that i guess they're in their late 30s mid 30s um mention remembering some guy who came to one of the meetings who worked for a radio station and loved somewhere over the rainbow and then Vertimon just completely loses his cool on this guy trying to get information. And uh, Suk just drags him out of the room and, yo, says, yo, what's your deal? And he it's very funny to find out he could lose his cool more than he already was. I, I yeah. <laughs> but, you know, he tells Suk his deal and basically says, we are trying to do the same thing. Yeah, it, this. I don't like this episode because it is basically just another clip show reminding you of who some of the players are going into the final arc. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And this is I just these two spelling out, this is my deal, Jansuk. Oh yeah, well this is my deal, Fritz Verdemann. How about we continue to go back in there and do nothing of relevance to the plot this week? Also, their investigation... It's these interviews basically operate on game show yeah. rules where you have five minutes each for 30 guys. Who the fuck does that? That's not how the police. Work. I mean, that's the point. They're trying to not like they're, they're not being very cooperative. It's it's very ridiculous. And it's just an excuse to have them flip through quickly. So Suk and Vertimon can tell each other their story. Yeah, the, the one thing that I do like about this, and yes, it's underlining something we already know. But, like, just how all of these guys just do not know how to respond emotionally to things. And they tip it off in some subtle ways and then some very unsubtle ways. Like, the guy is like, I had two sons and then they committed suicide, but they seem so happy. <laughs> so, for what it's worth, the parade of men is basically just a bunch of different grimmers. None of them are in the Johan mold of Broken. They're just right. like... I don't feel anything. What is nostalgia? You know, when my family killed themselves, I still didn't really know how to process that. Very similar. Yeah, yeah. Which, again, stuff we already know, but, like, it's effective seeing that it's consistently caused problems across multiple people who were involved. So, back in Munich, Nina and Dieter have arrived at Reichfein's house. Lottie and Carl come by, and they all uh -huh. sit down to a nice meal together, ruined by reading Tenma's letter out loud. <laughs> he, he mentions that he's sending Ava in their direction. He hopes they're all safe and well. He does mention, oh yeah, Nina and Dieter are probably back, right? That's gotta have happened by now. And also, there is only one way this can end, and it is within my grasp. Lottie sums it up perfectly with, you know, I'm glad to hear he's okay, but I'm really not a fan of that last sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot believe fucking Lottie is here. Why? Because Carl oh. is, and they're dating. But here's the thing, they weren't uh, dating. Why is Carl here? Yeah, well, why is Carl here? Because <laughs> he has the him. power of rich guy. Yeah, well, I mean... The, no, bring the actual rich guy. It, I only, I could only stomach Carl being here if the other guy is here. Yeah, I I don't... Like, Carl's character attribute is son of rich guy. Just bring back the like, rich guy. I, you know what? I forgot whether or not rich guy was dead. No, rich guy's fine. He like, was not he was dead the last shade. time we saw him. I don't know if we're going to see him again in this story. Yeah, he seemed like, like, 
on death's door, at least in the mannerisms that he was like, he, he sounded real rough, which again, he did go through a really tough ordeal and he's old and shit. Yeah, smoke but inhalation like, alone. Oh, so hard being rich. <laughs> you know what I mean. But like, yeah, I was very surprised to see uh, Lottie, who I thought, swear to God, was going to die in that arc because she was going to be real nosy and find out too much. And uh, Carl, which who I thought was possibly going to get killed by Johan just to get at um, get at his father. And I know that they were not getting along together because Carl just set her up with some creep just to get, get her away, away from him, kind of. Yeah. And like completely was unaware of her feelings for him. And I'm su- so I'm surprised. I mean, it's been a long time since then. So like, maybe they worked it out. But uh, it's very weird that they showed up together after all the last stuff we saw of them together. So, Reichvine also mentions this letter arrived three days before any of them have, but he still hasn't seen or heard from Ava. That's kind of making him nervous. Mm-hmm. You know, Caro and Lottie deserve each other because while thinking about it, I couldn't decide which one of them is the one slumming it, and I was like, you know, <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> They're both extremely milk toast people. Episode yeah. title, Who's Just... Slumming Who? <laughs> uh... That evening, Nina is talking to Dr. Reichwein and says she wants to do anything she can to unlock her memories. So then the, 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 the show remembers that Dr. Gillen exists and he comes in to hypnotize her to unlock them. Lo- love Dr. Gillen. Skills. Uh, interviewing psychos. Also hypnotist. Don't worry about mm-hmm. it. It goes horrendously awry and she starts choking him in the trance. And by the end of the episode, she remembers everything, even if she doesn't tell the audience. Uh, She then takes this knowledge to sneak out in the night without Dieter this time and head for a place that she knows Johan will go to. And her thinking in the note she leaves is, if I can do this, I can stop Johan and save Tenma. Also somewhere in here... uh. Carl uses the power of being rich to trace Tenma's letter to Frankfurt. Hooray! He just goes and pays some nerd to look at the stamp of the whole deal was the stamp. <laughs> and he's like, this is really small and hard to figure out. If only there were magnifying glasses. <laughs> I, he got I his just father's had... eyes. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I just had like a galaxy brain moment of like thinking, okay, if Ava survives this and like backslides into her like I, I'm just gonna be attached to a man who has a lot of money. Like I could imagine her trying oh, to seduce Carl. Carl. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> That'd be so funny. Oh my god, the May December romance of Carl and Ava would be so good. That would be Ava hilarious. Uses her gun, but just to shoot Lottie so she can slide in. That is straight up an entire gag manga spin-off that would happen if this were a more popular show. Simple, so, did you did you ever finish um Tokyo Terror Reba Girls. I have not. I am four volumes in. Okay. Well, talk to me when you finished it, because I would have something I would say related to that. It's very funny. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm going to pick more up next sale. Uh, It's I don't think it sticks the landing, but I still like it. I didn't think Princess Jellyfish stuck the landing. I'm there for the character arcs and in this case, Mm -hmm. the extremely cringe comedy about dating in your 30s. Oh, buddy. Can you guys hear yourself when you talk? I don't think Princess Jellyfish stuck the landing, but... (laughs) Princess Jellyfish is actually a lovely Yosei manga about women who are 
shut in in their own ways and trying to form outreach with each other to function in society. It's nice. All right, look, here's what I'm going to do is I'm going to Google this and I'm going to extremely judge you both on the first image. Sure. <laughs> Sorry, you guys are dead. To me. Uh, I, I have not read uh, Princess Jellyfish, uh, but yeah, Tokyo Terrorama Girls is brutal and hilarious and also makes, she, you, makes me feel real bad, <laughs> but in a good way. A show where women talk to each other and have agency couldn't be me. <laughs> it's basically <laughs> Japanese sex in the city with always sunny notes. That's that's very that, accurate. That sounds actually. so bad. Oh, it's very funny. Does one of them have a neck that's too long? Oh yeah, actually, it's this girl with the purple hair yep. right here. Oh, <laughs> <sighs> anyway. So this takes us into episode sixty-two, a pleasant dinner table where we head a little bit back in time to Tenma's pursuit of the apprentice. He's casing the hotel from the lobby. We're unsure for how long he's been there, but as a uh, Chapik the baby and a couple other dudes who we don't know pass through Tenma gets up and follows from a distance. Um, they go out, get into a car and uh, he gets into a cabin, wants to go, oh, oh, follow that car. But then the plot remembers he's an internationally wanted uh, guy and he's very easy to pick out <laughs> in a German, you know, when you're in Germany and the cops uh, surround the entrance and he flees down the street without any hesitation but this catches up to him when he flings himself into the road and gets struck by a van. <laughs> uh, and then the uh, screen goes white. I love that you see his shoe flying through the air. Very good. Yeah. We're not going to animate what it looks like when Tenma gets hit by a car, unlike that three-frame comedy last time. Uh-huh. But yeah, uh, so yeah I still love that. It was still a bitch to capture, but it's so good. So uh, Tenma awakes up in an unfamiliar bed, multiple limbs bandaged up. A child enters the room and puts some flowers on a table, but when Tenma tries to get her attention, it startles her and she runs out, leaving a different man to enter at the noise. You're lucky. You only got off with a sprained ankle and you didn't hit your head too hard. Patched up myself. Of course, I'm not an expert like you. This is a local dentist, Milan Kolash, and he very much recognizes the doctor. Apparently he saw the driver hit Tenma while he was on a walk. Guy sped away just as fast as he rammed you, too. The man is hiding Tenma in the Turkish quarter of Frankfurt, shocked that a lot of it is left. Um, outside the window, there's just uh, some bulldozers just bulldozing where parts of the houses used to be, doing some construction. It's been so long since the fire incident that a lot of immigrants have moved out after the right-wing uptick in one failed attempt at a pogrom. Now, a lot of the place is being shuttered or bulldozed and gentrified. And as the episode's title suggests, they head out for a meal at a family dinner table. A lot of local color, Tenma offering up his own culture and commentary. Very pleasant scene. Very excited for the next scene for the translator's note. <laughs> that night, as he settles in for bed... Tenma tries to test his ankle a bit to see how much weight he can put on it uh, because he doesn't want to wait too long and uh, lose track of Johan and his uh, company. But as he wanders around the room, he sees taped up photos of Peter Chopik. And then he pulls the drawer, the top drawer at the desk, and there's a gun in there. 
And a clip box for your bullets, idiot. Yeah, with loose bullets. <laughs> and a uh, clipboard of notes tracking Chopik's movements. And at this point, uh, Milan comes in uh, and says, uh, so when the police showed up at the hotel, they weren't looking for you. They were actually looking for me because Peter Chopik is going to die by my hand. And it turns out he has a long history with Chopik. Uh, the guy came over from the Czech Republic on the eve of the wall falling in 1989 by his invitation. Mm -hmm. So in the eighties, Chopik established himself in the ethnic neighborhoods as a German teacher held readings for all the children. And slowly all of those kids began committing suicide or turning violent. The peak of this was one night where all of the ladder camp just turned on one another, leaving there was what was only described as a riot, and a single survivor was taken into custody, only gave one reply to the cops. I want to go back to the study sessions. That night, the boy found a way to kill himself in his cell. That boy was Milan's son. Chopik uh, disappeared somewhere in the wake of the incident, but he came back in 1996. He was suddenly much more visible on the scene, aligning himself with the neo-Nazis and the current organization Brass. And as we saw earlier, that same group spent a nasty night that year trying to burn them all out. Only the Community Defense Force, founded in the wake of the incident, kept people alive. But in the next three months, five of the leaders all died under suspicious circumstances. Find that. You can't relate to uh, that. No, never. Milan took in the families of those dead men, their fathers, and children and wives, and they're the group who surrounded his dinner table. I don't know what your business is with Tropic, Dr. Tenma, but whatever it is, I know that only I have the right to kill the man. You know what's frustrating? He doesn't just say, hey, I'm trying to track this other guy. <laughs> you know? He never just says what his intention with Tropic is to, uh, to Mila Milan. Well, I just... He's trying to keep the moral high ground until Ch uh, Milan just goes, Look, asshole, I know why you're here, too. It's just, I think he would have been more receptive to be like, let's get some information out of him, not just straight up murder him. <laughs> or like, let's let's try to fry also big fit, another big fish in this whole situation. And instead of angling for that, he's just like, no, don't, it bad, stop. So the next day, the kids are sitting in Tenma's room and they're flying paper airplanes that he is folding and uh, basically giving them a lot of shit that they suck. <laughs> Love to let Tenma to just enable a bunch of fucking litterers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but these are like thematically important paper airplanes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a few tries later, though, uh, after the kids have given up, Tenma starts to get the hang of it, and one of them flies away. And like they, they basically say that uh, um, Milan like is really good at them, and so like they're disappointed that uh, Tenmas are bad. And then that night, Milan comes in and wakes the doctor up from his sleep and says, "Where have you hidden my gun?" Because he's finally got his best chance to finish off Chopik, and while he's uh, already taken the gun from Tenma's jacket, he would really prefer to use the one that he's trained with for uh, more reliable results. And he pulls the gun on Tenma, being like, yo, where's where's my gun? 
Yeah. Uh, Merlin throws it in Tenma's face that, like, I've looked into you, Doctor. You and I are, are on identical paths, especially since it's my fault that Chapek ended up here in the first place. And so we cut back much further than the 80s to the two boys growing up across the Czech-Austrian border when the wall was still up. As it came down, it was Milan who invited Chapek across before the chaos could strike their home. But Milan lays out that he probably should have been aware Chapek was cracking for years before that. We cut to a conversation on the verge of the 70s, where his old friend, this social climber and party member, got to cross that border and see the West. It was nothing special, he said. But instead, he was brimming with possibility about this man who was a genius. He had big plans for the future. You might even find them terrifying. We wrap the story, and Milan has finally gotten Tenma to shift in the bed so he can search the last obvious place under the pillow and get his gun. The dentist says that, uh, you know, we, we are the same here. We are doing the exact same thing. We just have different targets. But his last words are, thank you for trying to stop me, Doctor. If it helps, I doubt I could stop you if the tables were turned. We see Milan make his way through a convention of some sort, and eventually he spots uh, Chopek, and he slowly, then quickly, begins bolting towards the man, weapon drawn, and we hear a bunch of gunshots, and we cut to Tenma doing the cooking, this time at the house. Everyone is waiting for Milan to come home. He's late today. They hammer it home oh, so much. Yeah. Can't wait for him to come back. It's like comedic. Don't even feel bad. They went way too hard on it. Uh, only Tenma has the context to know what the news is discussing. A gunman at a business conference stopped in his tracks by police. The only way the police know how. Before they show seeds from the event, Tenma turns off the TV in silence. In unknown parts, Nina is in a bar watching the same report. Unlike Tenma, she's met Chopik before, and seeing his aged face lets her remember he's one of the men who's deviled her dreams. You know, for one thing, uh, this episode really wanted me to... Like, I really wanted a bowl of Yakadon after this. <laughs> uh, Matt, it means parentage. I know, because it's uh, chicken and egg in a bowl together. Oh, how funny is that? Those wacky Japanese. I think it's pretty funny, actually. G given, like, you know, my people's history with boiling the, uh, <laughs> uh, was it calf in the mother's milk uh, thing? Like, the idea of, like, just calling it out directly is very funny to me. <laughs> just doing food irony. <laughs> um, that's one thing. The other thing is that this dude really could have done so much better. He pulls out the gun so far away. <laughs> like, he could have gotten much closer before drawing. Uh, which is why he fails so hard. Uh, I don't know. Wh what do you guys feel about this whole arc with this character? I felt like it was kind of unnecessary. Like, I like the scene with the dinner and all that, but like, just to have well, this guy run off and get necessary killed, it sucks. Because they want Tenma to meet this guy. And, but, and also, if you're going to have Tenma meet a guy, you got to fill a whole volume and or <laughs> episode of a show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does. It does feel like it's taking up space. Yeah. Let me double check. But from memory, this is the last Gaiden arc where we're in a side story. Like, um, I, I think like the one thing would be nice is like if 
Tenma ends up uh, hanging out with his family. Like, basically, like, this becomes his, like, new family. That'd be nice. Maybe add Nina to it. No, uh, it looks like we have one more. But we'll get it out of the way next time. Yeah. I, I did like the one bit where the, like, the two kids, when they're hanging out, you know, throwing the paper airplanes, like, they say, oh, yeah, we're going to we're gonna go. Everyone's going to together visit everyone else's, like, home country, and it'll be great. And then later on, the kid's like, yeah, I know that's not going to happen. Uh, something about that moment, like, sort of realizing that, like, yes, that's a nice fantasy dream, and, like, everyone wants to believe it, but reality just isn't like that. Um, but even the kids know this. Like, I, I think that was a nice touch. Hmm. So, yeah, any other thoughts about this block? Nope, it's pretty good. I'm not going to lie. I'm ready for the show to be over. Same. Yeah, I feel like we spent a lot of time away from Johan, who is, like, the linchpin of all this. And I'm still not even, like, I am still annoyed that, you know, during this section, like, twice we basically are given the, oh, we're about to tell you what, Mina's memories are and we're about to get the whole picture and then it just doesn't tell us and I know they're saving that for the end but still it's like very frustrating well, it's because there are a lot of hats stacked on top of hats and they got it resolved on top yeah of and, but it's already it started off confusing that she is remembering things from Johan's perspective coming back from Red Rose right like getting in the car and driving over there or maybe she went once and never came back but like that whole thing of walking in on the room and she was there greeting herself like that still hasn't been resolved. And well, I don't know, it's weird. The thing is, is that that I, they cannot wait for it to be that she is also a Johan, basically. Yeah, that that's probably what they're going for. Um, also, there's a, a couple bits here where they use CG, or particularly with the door to the um, to that apartment. And uh, it's really jarring the first time you see it because it's like, you know, it's very clear. And then it comes up again when she remembers Chopik opening the door for her. And the sort of uncanniness of that there worked much better for me. We have never talked about it, but, yo, that CG tram in the intro is the maybe one of the worst looking things I have ever seen. I don't even remember. It's been so it's been over a year since I watched the intro. <laughs> I always scrub through it a little bit because VL it doesn't have a chapter right. break in VLC, and I always catch it, and I'm like, yo, this looks so bad. Mm -hmm. hmm. uh, for what it's worth, you will get your share of Johan when we come back in two weeks with episodes 63 through 67 and ask what happens if you give a baby depression. The Red Rose Mansion, a fun place for everyone. Oof. There, there's a character named the baby, and there are also a lot of literal babies who had depression. No idea what this could be about. I know that's why I rate these so ambiguously because it's fun for me. <laughs> Please, it's about Johan and Nina. Fuck off. Uh, <laughs> mm. <sighs> See ya. If your name is the baby, you're inherently problematic.